0: show
1: okay. and welcome to the donald jeffrey shows donald jeffrey's here with you uh, my guest today is uh someone i've been interested in for a long time and i'm, I'm glad i finally got him on the show scott anyart was a teenager at the time of the rfk assassination he was uh taking photographs inside the ambassador hotel on the night that uh, rfk was shot for his school newspaper and from there it comes the story of what happened to his pictures and it's a uh, a very interesting story. Scott, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here.
1: Well, it's great to have you on. So, and you, say, you know, start at the beginning, I guess, you know, you go back to uh, June 5th, 1968. Uh You're in high school. I guess you're 15 years old. So you are a sophomore or something, freshman or sophomore. And you're working for the school newspaper. And uh, you or I don't an assignment or you just decided to go from your school newspaper. Tell us how, how you came to be in the ambassador hotel that night. And then what uh, transpired from there?
2: Okay. Uh, I lived, you know, just off uh, Wilshire Boulevard, uh, in La Brea here in Los Angeles, what was called the miracle mile. And, uh, whenever there was anything political, uh, they would open up a campaign office on Wilshire Boulevard in an empty storefront. And, uh, I had been interested in uh, John F. Kennedy because as a kid, you know, I was dyslexic. And I used to look at Life magazine because it had pictures. And I just remember seeing that family. And uh, there was something special about that. And then when Robert Kennedy uh, announced that he was going to run, uh, they opened up a few blocks away from my house on Wilshire, a campaign headquarters. So I thought, well, I want to be a photojournalist. And so I would go over there and hang around kind of a thing. I uh, didn't really see uh, Kennedy or anything. It was just campaign workers, and I would pick up bumper stickers and hand them out. That kind of a thing. I really knew nothing about politics <laughs> in, in uh, uh, you know a sophisticated sense, but I just knew I wanted to be this uh, you know photographer. And then uh, Kennedy, actually, I'd gone to the hotel the day before, and Robert Kennedy was there. He was staying with John Frankenheimer down at the beach, uh, but they held rooms there at the hotel. Uh, and so he was there the day before walking his dog and uh, kids were running up to him and everything very accessible, uh, which, you know, in hindsight uh, is, is, uh, is a bit sad. Uh, but anyway, uh, it was a uh, school night. And so I lied to my parents, told them I was spending the night at a friend's house. Uh, we had gone to the Ambassador Hotel the day before. We knew our way around the hotel because we used to go swimming there. My friend belonged to the Sun Club. His parents had a cabana. And we used to go to the Ambassador Hotel really every day during the summer. And run around the hotel, and whenever there was an event, we would be aware of it. And so the Kennedy, we knew Kennedy was coming. We went the day before and walked into uh, the embassy room, to the press room, and there was a big box with press passes. I sent you a picture of mine. And yes, so we yes. just grabbed, yeah, we grabbed press passes, and we showed up the next night uh, about six o'clock with a coat and tie and press pass on and the camera around our neck, and we were let in. And so I was able to get you know right up front there. Uh and um uh you know, elbow to elbow with there are about two hundred photographers, cameramen there, uh from everywhere. And so uh essentially that's that's how we uh got there. Uh wandered around the hotel. We actually uh went up to Kennedy's room, uh, uh it was up on the fifth floor, I think, and uh, uh the doors were open and uh different um press people had rooms and so Kennedy was going around doing interviews back and forth. And they had the TV on and everything. We got chased out, but you know, once again, just really no security. Uh, and then went down, waited in the ballroom, and he did not um, come down till after midnight. Uh, they were waiting for uh, two other states, I think, to conclude because uh, whether or not he carried those states as well as California determined uh, that he could be, uh, you know, uh, get the presidential uh, uh, bid. So he didn't come down till after midnight. And uh, really, what's interesting is on stage, um, uh, they were supposed to leave and um, they were supposed to go in one direction toward a door and out to a limousine off to this place called the factory in West Hollywood for a party. And uh, I think it was Mankiewicz was uh, Kennedy's campaign guy. Yes, Frank Mankiewicz. Stopped Kennedy from going in that direction and says, no, we have to go back the other way and go through the press room because if we don't talk to the newspapers, it's not going to make the morning papers. So that's why right. he went in the other direction and it ended up going through the pantry.
1: All right, And the rest is history. So so you're, you're when you're out there, you're so tell us before the shooting, uh, are you noticing any, like, did you see any indications of the girl in the polka, that dress? Did you see Sirhan anywhere? I mean, do you, do you see anything unusual going on or you just weren't even looking for something like that?
2: wasn't even looking for something like that. I've seen pictures since then uh, of women in polka dot dresses. I sent you one. Um, I've seen pictures of Sirhan uh, in the crowd uh, kind of a thing uh, before the shooting. Uh, But I certainly didn't notice anything like that. Uh, What was happening is is I I stood basically from 7 o'clock until after midnight uh, five feet from the podium so that I could get those pictures that uh, you saw of his last speech. I was thinking nothing of you know, what was going to happen afterward. But as I saw them go off in the other direction, as opposed to out to the parking lot, I knew my way through the hotel. I said, if I just go through those kitchen doors there behind him, uh, I'm going to be able to get pictures of him. And that's why I was following him uh, as I was going through there, trying to get some last minute pictures. And as we went into the pantry, as the door swung open, Kennedy was about 10 feet ahead of me and he stopped and he stirred, uh He was sort of in a silhouette, bright light bulb overhead, uh, and this pantry is a very small room, very confined, all concrete except for stainless steel refrigerators, ice machines, and, and tables and things. So the lighting was very odd, but the Kennedys had this great profile. So I, he was turning back and forth, talking in Spanish to the kitchen workers, and I was taking pictures of him doing that because it had this great silhouette and his hair was backlit. Uh, and, uh, as that was happening, uh, that's when the shots were fired. So when people say, did you photograph the assassination? I photographed Robert Kennedy from behind at the time shooting took place. Did I see the shooting? No, because Sirhan was in front of him. Uh, and that's where all the controversy is, but I was in from behind and that's where he was shot. So, you know, that's why you would think these pictures are pretty interesting. Now, (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah. Right. And so what happened was that there was a woman there, Joan Barr. You can look up her police report. And uh, she's the one that went to the police after as they arrived and pointed me out and said that kid was taking pictures during the shooting. And they sent two plainclothes detectives after me in the hotel. And I ran from them because I didn't know, you know, people were being shot. You know, right. I come out of the country and there's like bodies everywhere. Right. Two so guys in suits start chasing me. And so I went out the entrance, the glass doors to the Ambassador Hotel, and there I was met by police, grabbed me, put me down, took my film, threw me in a squad car, and um, uh, locked me in a room with about 20 other witnesses at the Ambassador Hotel, all in chairs in in like a a small um, uh, conference room. They set up about 20 chairs back to back, and we all had to sit in these chairs. I was there with George Plimpton, a whole bunch of other uh, people, press people and stuff that we have all been rounded up, and we weren't allowed to talk to each other. And then around 2 in the morning, they sent up a big jail bus. They loaded us all up on the jail bus, drove us out, and interesting is uh, crowds had started arriving by then, and they thought, well, the killer's on the bus. It's a police bus, right? So they're throwing bottles and rocks and everything at the bus as we go out the driveway and took us to Rampart Station. And uh, it's at Rampart Station where... And you can hear my audio interview with police. That's where they take the, the film from me. And I tell them, you know, I wanted to stay with it because the processing had to be just right. And they said, no, 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 we're going to take care of it. And this is important. And the FBI is here and everything. And we're going to give you your film back. And so I had you know, a record of all of that. And that's what I ended up you know, going to trial with because after 20 years, those pictures never came back. Now, they claim there was a court order sealing the evidence which there wasn't. So I waited 20 years
1: for nothing. Uh,
2: But after that, that's
1: when I filed my lawsuit. Well, and then this is, you know, we we obviously heard similar stories after the JFK assassination, but you you are pretty much, because, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, those of us like myself have been investigating both of these assassinations for so long, we really question the fact there was no professional footage of either assassination. You know, the JFK, we got to rely on Zapruder and Nix and much more. You know, home home movies. And in the RFK assassination, we don't even have that, but we have the closest thing we probably have to it, I think, are your photographs, especially if you're behind. I mean, that is really crucial information. So if the authorities really wanted to get at the truth, they could have easily, okay, that's the controversy with Naguchi's autopsy, you know, did the the, the, the fatal shot come from. So you could have proved that. So, okay, so it took you 20 years. So you didn't get to see your shot. So. Did you eventually get to see your pictures? Have you seen what they show?
2: Now, here's the thing. I took three rolls of film. They took the middle roll. So the pictures I sent to you uh, are everything leading up to the pantry. Then the roll in the pantry is missing. And then you see everything after I leave the pantry on the third roll. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, sure. So but you, so basically, the pantry, were I'm sure, were the key ones. Because, again, this is... That's Unlike right. J, and, JFK, you got Altkins photo. Yeah, but you have photographers, but RFK, you have nothing. You have the photo of him lying on the floor. That's it well, with the bus what boy. The police, over, yeah. what, the police,
2: what the police did do is they gave me a set of proof prints from that role that they took, but there were 12 pictures missing. All during, uh-huh. you know, uh, when the shooting would have taken place. And right. there were pictures before and pictures after. So it's not like they didn't come out or something, you know. And you mm-hmm. can see by the photographs I sent you, I shooting in low light, uh, you know, bright light. Yeah, I, I knew what I was doing.
1: Right, exactly. So, so have you – is that still – because I'm trying to – we're trying to find out what is the actual update on things. So are you – do you st- have you still never gotten those missing photos and they still claiming they're not there I, I, has anybody seen
2: they still never gotten that missing 10 12 frames that are essential i don't think they'll ever show up when we were at trial what happened was i had gone up to the california state archives in sacramento and searched everything all the evidence longs all i looked at all of the photography mm-hmm. and then uh we were putting our case together, and uh, Skip Miller, uh, the attorney for the city, and his crew, they go up to Sacramento, and all of a sudden, they find my pictures. Um, uh, they all, they were under George Clayton type of thing, and what they had done is they altered the evidence logs, and there was a woman, Joan Mangum, who was a researcher, and she's the one that discovered it, and uh, turned the, and actually photographed the logs. She had photographed the logs before they were altered, and then after they were altered to put my name in, in two slots, where Clayton filmed had been and then they tried to say well we found Scotty yards film and we're going to bring it to court and i said great bring it down because it's not mine and when they realized that uh they sent a courier eggbot courier up to sacramento the um uh, courier first delivered the box to the court and the box had been opened so they send it back and also who lets the the uh, defense handle the evidence skip miller is the one ordering this to be moved around, okay? Not the court, and so it goes back all the way to Sacramento. It's repackaged, reauthorized by the archives, and now Eggbach Couriers in San Francisco. Um, uh, uh, the guy sends his father to go and deliver this film because it's so important and it already got screwed up once. Skip Miller, the, the uh, lawyer that was paid two million dollars to go after me, uh, he um, uh, calls up Eggbach and says. Uh, What color car is the guy going to be driving? And can you give me a description of the driver of your father? And Eggbox said, nobody ever asked me for anything except how much and when's it going to get there. Nobody asked me what the guy's going to be wearing. So outside of L.A. jurisdiction in Culver City, uh, this guy's driving along with the package in the backseat in a briefcase. And all of a sudden, a car comes up behind them. Guys jump out and puncture his tires. He pulls over into a gas station turns around and the briefcase is gone. Wow. So my film that didn't exist suddenly existed, but bring it down to court. Can't get the court. And it was stolen.
1: Jeez. That's it's unbelievable.
2: <laughs> I mean, the misbehavior and then skip Miller uh, after, you know, the, uh, the jury is, is deliberating and um, uh, skip Miller takes the jury form into his office and interviews him,
3: mm-hmm. which
2: is, you know, you're not allowed to talk to the freaking jury. Everybody knows that. And I had him disbarred. Uh, but yeah. he's such a prominent lawyer, uh, he was disbarred for one day.
1: Uh, There's lots of questions for you in the chat room. Uh, Felix has asked <laughs> twice now. I, I think we've answered that. But can you ask Scott if he took photos of the shooter behind RFK when RFK was shot from behind? Well, I, I think, you know, you were standing there, so, but you I, never and, saw your pictures.
2: You know I, I, I just saw him fall. You know, I, I right. thought he fainted i thought it was hot and i thought he just fainted or slipped uh people were stomping on balloons and so the pop 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 of sir gun whatever weapons there were at least three weapons that i know of in the pantry that night uh you had um uh, a guy from uh, an fbi agent um uh, and then you had the security guard eugene Thane caesar who had the right. same caliber weapon as uh as sir Han. Right, and, right. you know, I, I think it might have been a horrible accident. I don't know. But, you know, like people talk about Lisa Peace book, and you've got like, oh, this guy's going to be in front of him. We've got another squad outside there. And then we've got these other guys over here. It's just ridiculous. I mean, if you're going to kill somebody, you're going to send one guy in there uh, and, and let him do his job. Everybody else is just one more person going to rat everybody out.
1: Right, right, you know? right.
2: It, it, just, it just becomes weird. Or they're going to shoot at each other. You've got yeah. someone behind you know uh kennedy and then Sirhan in front of him you're both going to shoot at each other it's just, it's, <laughs> yeah. i'm yeah,
1: sorry <laughs> cr- it's not yeah. not much room for a crossfire in the pantry but there there's i mean there people are asking their uh your thoughts on that we well, kind of address this too chris Is that What the polka dot dressed girl and if she ran away right at the battery? did she actually give an on-camera interview is rumored and there's also another bob wilson wants to know if uh did you find a photo of Sirhan and the, and with the polka dot lady in the photo archives?
2: Um, uh, yes. Uh, and I have a copy of that in my archives. Uh, they're both standing sort of looking up during the speech. And must have been the beginning of a speech or, you know, could have been other people speaking. Milton Berle came out and spoke at a number of speakers because the picture is, you know, them. Shot from the side looking toward the podium, but it doesn't show who's speaking because by the time Kennedy's there, Sirhan's you know in the kitchen, uh, basically, which isn't that far away, uh, and, you know. And you know, Sirhan had been at two previous events looking for Kennedy.
1: Oh, this is about he's clarifying this, this, fo- this would have been a photo because you know, there's evidence that people saw a Sirhan character with someone who looked like the polka dot girl in you know, in the I, time of leading I have, up,
2: yeah. I, I, I have seen that, and I have a copy of that.
1: So this is before, okay? Yeah, cause that's that's you. Well, that's good. So how did how did you get those photos? Uh,
2: interesting thing is, uh, you know, anything you want from the archives, you can pay to have prints made of. Right. But throughout my trial, I had drops, uh, basically, either to my attorney's office or to my front door, of evidence, uh, and from police people. I had a woman call me up and say that she was the receptionist at Rampart Station when I came in. She described what I was wearing, uh, and then she told me, I just wanted you to know that they booked two guns in evidence that night. And, you know, the murder weapon left in Rayford Johnson's pocket and was recovered at the hospital by the FBI.
1: Oh, see, I, I did not know that. It's, it's shades of what went on with JFK. So, again, they, so it sounds like they had a lot of the same chain of possession problems that we saw in uh in the JF case, that doesn't sound like it's standard operating procedure that it's supposed well, to be.
2: <laughs> but you know what? Here's the thing. People talk about conspiracies. You don't have to, to, to know about the conspiracy to be part of the conspiracy. Right. Uh, and and with, with the LAPD, that's the way they did business to a certain degree back then. Rampart station was filthy. And, you know, uh, around the time of my trial, they had this big thing where they were, you know, selling drugs. Uh, the detectives were selling drugs and everything. Uh, uh, but, uh, uh, the, um, the, the uh, uh, chain of custody of all the evidence and everything. And also what happened was is that as soon as this shooting took place, all of a sudden the LAPD gets called by the FBI and by the, and by Washington and they're going, we don't want another Dallas and the police department's going, No problem. We've got the guy. And so what they did is they just got rid of everything that distracted from that because they were so confident that they got the guy. Right. Uh, but, Consequently, so you know, I mean, I don't think the police were like intentionally, you know, trying to, you know, get the wrong story. This was just like, hey, we got him. You know, who who needs this, you know, girl in the polka dot dress shit?
1: Right, right, exactly. Now, so um, I'm trying to get so basically, the the, the people are asking of of the missing 12 photographs. I mean, I'm sure it happened so quickly. How much could you? Do you have any memory of anything that you think might have been? And those photos that did nothing suspicious. You say you thought he fainted, so maybe you didn't have enough yeah, time to I, see.
2: Yeah, like I said, the very small space. People were packed in there. Um, I had jumped up on a steam table to after I, I, I fell when uh, Paul Schrade got shot. A lot of people sort of fell backwards. I ended up on my ass uh, in the doorway and had to get back up, got up on a table, started taking more pictures, and that's when Ethel Kennedy came in. And knelt down next to her husband, and she's going, "Let him breathe." And I stopped taking pictures. I just, I just couldn't take pictures. Uh, not at that age. I wouldn't. Right. I wouldn't do it now. I mean, I well, mean, after what, that, I, sure. I a photographer. I, I, I stopped. I didn't want to be a photojournalist anymore.
1: Right, uh, I can understand. So what in the pantry? So uh, this is what I think people find fascinating is that this. There's so little footage. Of anything. So because after he leaves and he goes, you know, it's on well, to Chicago, here, let's here, there.
2: And, and here, here's the reason why. It's because it was midnight. Everybody, as soon as he ended his speech, they ran to process their film or wasn't going to get the paper the next day. And there's no video, even though there was some video cameras, some test cameras, some right, NBC right. color cameras, you know, type of deal. Uh, those were stationary. Those weren't moving around, following anybody. And the only people that were there in the pantry shooting pictures were Bill Apurich, who was working with Robert Kennedy,
0: he has a beautiful mm-hmm.
2: book out, The "Last Campaign," um, and uh, English photographer—I forget his name—he actually testified against me at uh, at trial, saying a 15-year-old kid couldn't take p- uh, those pictures. <laughs> oh um, really? Uh, yeah. So there, there was some, some jealousy there um, uh, involved, uh, but um, uh, but still, yeah. And he was uh, with Life. He was with Life magazine uh, and, and was assigned to Kennedy. So there were a few still photographers, uh, no real film. Although as soon as, once he's on the ground, then all of a sudden everybody comes rushing in. That's why right. I'm up on the steam table. And also, you know, the ambulance guys can't get in cause you got guys bringing in lights,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, uh, that sure. was uh, really distressing, uh, was, uh, the fact that, and, and, you know, that was, they called up the uh, Rampart station and they said, uh, Robert Kennedy is, has been shot at the ambassador hotel. And uh, the guy says, who's Robert Kennedy. And then where's the ambassador hotel, which is only like 19 acres, four blocks away from Rampart station. <laughs> so it was just, uh, and it took him 20 minutes to get there.
1: Right. So, it's and so basically, there no,
2: there, and there were no police assigned, but uh, that was because Robert Kennedy uh, got in a fight uh, with the police chief or uh, the the mayor, um, uh, who was Sam Yorti? Y- the- y- Sam Yorty. Sam yes Sam yes yeah. <laughs> Kennedy says, "I don't want policemen standing on stage with me." And Yorty says, "F you, there aren't going to be any police there." <laughs> and and you yeah. know it's because of his shooting uh, that uh, you know candidates got Secret Service protection.
1: Right. Well, you had Carl Eucher was the bodyguard, right? His name has come up a lot. In this, Carl uh, Eucher.
2: No, Carl Eucher was a maitre, maitre d', yes, yes, yeah. And he's the one that grabbed the gun. And the interesting thing about that was this guy. And I spent a lot of time with this guy in uh, over the years. They were bringing him to L.A. for interviews and stuff. He was really traumatized by this whole thing and thought that he, you know, could have acted sooner. But what he did was he, uh, when he went for the gun, he grabbed the barrel, not the barrel of the gun, but the cylinder. So he couldn't fire anymore. And that's when they forced him down on the table and he lost control of the weapon. And that's when Sirhan stuck his arm out and shot, you know, a bunch of other people emptied the gun.
1: Right. So, so, so once, so at the time Kennedy, so no there you said there was only a couple of the photographers there. So with the one that was working with RFK, did he, what pictures did he take? Did he, get anything relevant or, or the British guy? Did either one of them get anything significant?
2: Everything after the shooting. Nobody was taking pictures really except me because, you know, I was a kid, you know, mm-hmm. following him, you know, nobody would have been wanting the pictures that I was trying to get, these sort of artistic uh, mm-hmm. kind of things. Uh, and like I said, the event was just over. Everybody, and there are 200 photographers there, you know, 195 of them left.
1: So, but so it, so so because of this, obviously, you're seeing evidence of wow, this is this is really dishonest. What they're doing, they're hiding these photos, and I, I'm assuming you think they must not be after the truth if they don't want to look at these things and they want me to see. I mean, why why are they suppressing this? And to the point of the guy trying to deliver them, his tires are slashed. I mean, this is yeah,
2: this is kind I mean, of conspiracy. And it's, you know, they spent two two million dollars fighting my case. Uh, yeah. And, you know, they went after me. They went out to my uh, elementary school records. I was forced to see a psychiatrist. I was dyslexic oh, as a geez. kid. So they said, oh, he, he can't tell time. Uh, oh. You know, <laughs> I, I just really. Uh, and, 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 you know, what they do is, you know, they find out how much I was working at Universal Studios at the time. And um, uh, they used to follow me to work. I lived in Santa Monica. And there was an FBI uh, car across the street. And every day they'd follow me to Universal and I'd lose them at the gate. And then they'd pick me up on the way home, follow me all the way home and sit out in front of my house. They did that for the entire trial. And my trial was six weeks with all the preliminaries. They put, you know, murderers away in three days.
1: Right, exactly. So, so they, put, they put a lot of time and effort into trying to, to suppress these, uh, these sort of people. Well, in their- I'll,
2: and and I'll, I'll tell you why. Because uh, my case was about that if the police come and they take my film away, even if I'm a regular citizen, Uh, they have a duty of care, and they have to return it. And if they don't return it, they have to pay for it. And what happened was we had the riots back then. And after the riots, the cops went around door to door, taking away videotape and film from all these different people who had photographed stuff. And a lot of it without their permission. And most of it not returned. And if my case had gone through, they would be responsible for all of those cases. And in the future, if they were to take somebody's cell phone or they were to take, you know, whatever kind of a thing, uh, in my case, would have made this uh, standard of care. And, and it would have extended to the uh, citizens the same rights as a photojournalist, which you could argue I was 15 years old working for my high school paper. Am I really a photojournalist? Uh, you know what? Yeah, uh, because that's how I make my living. And, you know, uh, those photographs uh, have, you know, uh, I, I've uh, uh published them over the years. Uh, I'm getting actually getting ready to sell. Uh, I'm selling all of my photography off. I'm an old man. Um, uh, it's been 60 years. I was 15 years old. In 15 more years, I will have outlived my copyright. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. The yeah, only was... other person that did that was Irving Berlin. <laughs> okay, <laughs> songwriter. Right yeah, well, in the yeah.
1: 90s. Well, you're such a young guy there right in the middle of the scene. And uh, so,
2: well, yeah. You're, and you're, that's yeah. the other thing is it, oh, everybody else is dead pretty much.
1: Yeah, yeah. That was, so, yeah, oh, sure, oh, the passage of time. So does, how did this, I'm assuming you're 15 years old, you weren't maybe not real politically aware. Uh, did the, How did this change you? Did this this make you jaded, more cynical?
2: Oh, you're, you're totally changed. You saw there's a picture of me, uh, you know, around the time. I had like a little Kennedy haircut. I wore a tie to school <laughs>
1: right. and,
2: and everything. And after this event, I grew my hair long. I didn't believe in God. Anymore, he was a Roman Catholic, like the Kennedys. And I said, there, I, there can't be a God after this. So it totally changed me. And I didn't really realize that the PTSD uh, thing. Uh, I, I went to photograph Mayor Bradley uh, about two weeks after the Kennedy assassination. And I was in downtown in his office with him. And I broke out in a sweat. I thought something was going to happen to him. I, I was, like, frightened that just something bad was going to happen because I sure. didn't have control over the situation, they used to talk about this—the uh, joke about this photographer. Everywhere we'd go, if we went to the Indy races, there'd be a crash. If so we went to mm-hmm. the air fl- airport, a uh, plane would crash. And uh, the it's, well, the, it's like the guy Ouija, famous yeah. photographer, and they call him Ouija because how does he get to the crime scene before the police <laughs> all <laughs> all of the time, right? Yeah. And I didn't want to be that character, so I became a studio photographer. You had to knock on my door. You had to pay me and make an appointment, uh, and I would let you in. But I didn't uh, – I didn't, just totally, you know, gave up on that, which is good. I mean, I had a better life.
1: Yeah, well, you did change what you want to do. So how
2: – I
1: imagine, obviously, because you know a lot about the case, because you were so personally involved, you had a personal stake in it. So did you then launch your own investigation? Did you talk to witnesses yourself? Were you, you, were you compelled to find out what was really going on here, since they won't give you your pictures well, back?
2: I'll tell you, now. I hooked up with Ted Chirac, Yes. Who is yes. the godfather of, of the Kennedy. the second
1: um, uh, second gunman, right? Second gun. The in second film, right? gun. Yes. Yeah, I'm, right. in,
2: I'm in that tape. He does an interview with me when I'm like 17 years old on the lawn of the Ambassador Hotel and we got chased off. Uh, Ted, Ted was uh, uh, quite a character. And so he's the one that started with all the conspiracies and things like that. So I'm totally aware of all that stuff. But that's never been a part of my life. I mean, other than just being interested in it. Um, uh, You know, a lot of people wanted Kennedy dead. Uh, If I were the CIA or or the Mafia or you know Jimmy Hoffa's cousin, um, I would have found someone like Sirhan, uh, a Patsy, a a guy who hates him anyway, and give him ten thousand bucks and a map. You know, Uh, let him do it. Why would you, you know, even risk, (laughs) you know, an agent? Uh, when you've already got all these yahoos out there who are happy to do it. They just, you know, don't know how to get there. And if you look at the automatic writing, Sirhan had a book written, Sirhan, I mean, your RFK yes. must die like a thousand right. times. Right, right, uh, paid in the
1: order. Well, that, But that, isn't that, that's what led to people thinking that he was uh, programmed because the, the diary is very and strange.
2: That, that, he, and that's very possible. That, that's what yeah. I think. is. I mean, Sirhan went in there with the intention of killing Kennedy. But no yeah. doubt about that. He emptied his gun in the general direction of Robert F. Kennedy. Uh, whether he killed him or not, I don't think uh, necessarily that he did. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't think it was an organized thing. Like, you know, like I said, one them, you shoot from behind, I'll shoot in front of him. Uh, I think it might have been a horrible accident. It could have been someone returning fire. I, I mean, I just, you know, it, 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 it just gets so crazy, uh, the, the coincidences that would have to, uh, you know, go inside. But here's the thing. Uh, Ivor Johnson cadet holds eight bullets and i 've heard tape recordings from that evening, and you can hear twelve to fourteen shots right right and right. i've had that tape analyzed okay out in the valley when I was working at Universal Studios with all the digital experts and everything like that and it 's there those are gunshots, uh, so something happened
1: oh absolutely and you know just, you just look at what. What tends to happen to the Kennedys, and, you know, as I've said many times, uh, if John F. Kennedy hadn't been assassinated, I don't think Robert F. Kennedy would have been. I think they were, they were you, know, it, it, you know, tied together, you
2: know, at, at the— uh, Well, an interesting thing, too, is that um, uh, Thomas DiGucci was not allowed to testify at Sirhan's trial, which wasn't even a trial. It was, you know, he's guilty, <laughs> Your Honor. Yeah. Well, what do, what do we do next? Wins lunch? Uh, uh, but I had him at my trial. And uh, Ted Chirac uh, put on a lab coat and went to USC Medical Center and found Thomas Noguchi for me and got him to to come to trial. And so he testified in my case um, uh, that these photographs would have changed the results of his autopsy. That's what he said.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I just, you know, it's I don't know how anybody can look at this innocently, because uh, if if the authorities aren't involved in some way, uh, then why why wouldn't they want the the best photographic evidence? You don't have any other photographic evidence at all. So you, you want okay let's let's get it was taken at the time of the shooting. Nothing else was taken at the time of the shooting. So you know let's well, see maybe also, we... uh,
2: uh, two weeks before Sirhan's trial, the LAPD had some uh, uh, Explorer Scouts uh, take a couple hundred photographs uh, and negatives to a hospital in the middle of the night and burn them. And right, there's a receipt right. for that, and so they say that oh, and and, and they also burned like um uh, um like the uh, door frame that had the bullets in it, saying it was too big yeah. to fit in a file cabinet. Right, right. <laughs> I if you recall,
4: right. <laughs> you recall well, that? yeah.
2: But yeah, and so that was that was what the police originally said was hey, you know your photographs they were destroyed uh, yeah. essentially, but if by admitting that then you got to pay me for it.
1: Yeah, well, they, and they you know they they destroyed the. Uh, the uh, ceiling panels, They uh, we know that they burned a bunch of photographs. Uh, they, we don't know how many photographs the LAPD burned. And then uh, other photographs from uh, the pantry and from Oswald's, I mean from Oswald's, from RFK's autopsy, wound up in the safe of uh, James Jesus Angleton, the CIA spymaster. So clearly, and, and you mentioned the, the, the officers finding what certainly looked like bullets in the, uh, the door jams of the uh, of the you know the, the pantry uh, there and the, the, the tape and the bullet holes. I mean there were magic bullets all over. There's clearly something. You know I I personally think Sirhan was programmed and he was shooting wildly. I don't know who he hit if anybody. I think Paul Shade yeah. thinks he hit yeah. him, but somebody else had to be shooting. There are just too many bullets there. I mean I don't you know, I don't know. I think RFK Jr. thinks it was Caesar.
2: And, and there's you know Eugene Dane Caesar. This guy was a rent-a-cop from I think Douglas Aircraft. Uh, he was uh, he was a Wa- George Wallace supporter and hated Kennedy. Um, so you know that, that was a little bit odd. And once again had the weapon and the police never checked his weapon, which is nuts. Yeah, Didn't check see. him for powder or anything like that. And he walked out of there with a uh, 22, yeah, you know, eight shot. Uh, revolver that might have had a couple of bullets missing
1: right exactly, so there's and, oh, and, it,
2: uh, it, i went back, I went back the next day to the ambassador hotel, walked in, and the police were doing forensics, and I walked into the pantry right and and uh, there were other people there, and while I was there, they caught a kid with a butter knife trying to get a bullet out of a door frame near
1: yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly, and yeah, of course they did you know they. Did. <laughs> And what's their solution to that is to say they weren't there and to destroy the door jams, let destroy everything else. And uh, again, it just how do you how do you not uh, speculate and become suspicious when the authorities act like that? Because clearly, if they were looking for the truth, first of all, they wouldn't have stolen your pictures. They would have wanted yeah. to see what was in them. But uh, this this goes back. The same thing happened uh, to a lesser degree uh, that we know of in the JFK assassination. But there were people there that uh, you know that never got their films back either. But in your case, this was, there was nobody else there. There was no Zapruder, nobody. So it was uh, obviously very important. So what, what, after this happens, you're, you're a teenager, and once everything begins to unravel and, and you know, the, the, the police are not returning your pictures, obviously after a while you realize, well, okay, they're not going to get back. What's going on here? Uh, what did your parents think? What did your family think? Are they, uh, you know, are they thinking, well, you're just being a troublemaker. Don't worry about it. The authorities can do no wrong. Or are, they, are they starting to say, hey, something's fishy going on here?
2: Uh, well, not so much that, uh, as in it, it was just costing me a tremendous amount of money. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I spent a half million bucks to win a half million bucks. That's how smart I am. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, yeah, I got nothing out of this. Uh, basically, I, you know, I owed money when this whole thing was over, even after I won. And then, you know, it was overturned on appeal. Uh, and then uh, basically they just paid me off. Uh, but it was never about the money. But, you know, it, it, it a tremendous strain on my relationship. Um, I, I'm not blaming it uh, for my uh, divorce, but it, it uh, certainly stressed out my family death threats uh, mm, and, you know, uh, FBI cars you know, parked across the street from the house. Uh, wow. And uh, I had one lawyer who got death threats and quit, uh, you know, during during the whole thing. Oh,
1: uh, it's, just,
2: it's just some real, real, real ugliness.
1: Yeah, and it, of course,
2: it just it,
1: you or anyone else would think in that situation here, this isn't Sirhan's family threatening me. This isn't—you know—they're not <laughs> sending cars. This is obviously well, something bigger
2: going on here. And, and also, here, here's the thing: is that they, they said that I couldn't produce anything in court uh, unless I could produce the police officer who signed it. And, uh, in other words, the police gave all these uh, records to Sacramento, saying these are our. Uh, accurate records but when i want to use them in court unless i can authenticate them by bringing in the guy who signed it uh they're saying i can't use them in court which was really good destroying my case right because i had all this evidence and i said well uh give me the addresses of these uh retired police officers and they said well, we don't know where they live i mean they get a pension check you know uh in a trailer somewhere in Hammett. you can't tell me that you don't know where these guys live and then they just basically sandbagged us and we, I mean, we won anyway. But I lost half my evidence. Yeah, that had the jury scene, you know, just would have, you know, just, uh, you know, rolled over.
1: Uh, Chuck Chuck uh, Ocelli, our producer, is said, ask him about the alleged pictures that were stolen from a courier. That isn't that what you were describing earlier, where they slashed the yeah, tires? Was that That, that, yeah, that was a, tell that again. I guess that, I guess a few people missed it.
2: Well, you know, but we're, we're a couple of weeks into the trial, and they all of a sudden go, oh, we found your pictures. And so uh, they had gone up to Sacramento, and they had altered uh, police logs. And they, uh, what they did was uh, interesting. They, they, first, they showed us this proof sheet. They go, here's your pictures. And I look at it, and there are a lot of similar angles, things like that, but they're out of order. And they're on copy film. You know, I shot Tri X film because you got to have fast film. Uh, This is on uh, bulk loaded ASA 125 copy film that the police department uses to copy things. And so they basically took a bunch of pictures, photographed them, and then um, uh, got them out of order uh, when the assassination was. And that was pretty bizarre. Uh, and so I knew, these, once I said, these are not my pictures, and I'm going to prove it, I said, I work at Universal Studios. You bring down that film, I'm going to put it on a scanner, and there's going to be two sets of grain, one on the print, one on the copy film. And once they realized that, this film could not come to court. And so they shipped it down once, the package had been opened, went back to the archives, they secured it again, sent down this egg box courier guy's father, who was then at the, This guy Skip Miller uh, wants to know what he's wearing, what color car he's driving, what route he's taking, and he gets robbed in Culver City. Uh, and uh, the briefcase and the pictures are stolen and never get to court.
1: Absolutely, but there's people in the chat room are I, they're getting the sense, and I, I'm not getting that sense, Scott, that you don't think it was a conspiracy. I think you must obviously there had to be some kind of conspiracy. Why would the authorities oh, I, be I, doing I, this to your I, pictures? I,
2: I think that, that well, uh, a conspiracy regarding me or Sirhan?
1: Well, a conspiracy to kill RFK, because then what? they're obviously covering something up to, to uh, not I, want your pictures I, I, out there.
2: Yeah, in, in, well, in, in my research, I think that somebody set Sirhan up and, and, and set him there. Uh, I don't think this guy came up with this necessarily by himself. I think he may have been used. He may have been hypnotized. A lot of evidence to that. But he also, you know, was a Jordanian, and Kennedy had sold... Um, uh, uh, jet fighters to Israel. And so you had a very specific grudge and it's interesting during the trial, I was approached by Sirhan's attorney at the time. And, uh, they asked if they could cooperate with me. They were seeing my trial as being able to help Sirhan. Right. I didn't really want that. But then again, they said, we got a lot of evidence. And so I got to know Adele, Sirhan, Sirhan's brother and his mother. Mm-hmm. very sweet people yeah. very, very disarming yeah. you, know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know and Adele would come over and we would go over evidence he looks like his brother you know kind of thing yeah. and, and over the years it was you want to talk to him he wants to talk to you type of a thing and I never did that I just never went there uh, that's just not what I do
1: so you never talked to Sirhan huh?
2: No. And like I said, I think that there there may have been, like I said, CIA or, or, you know, that that puts their hand up to this um, uh, kind of a thing. I think with the police department, I think, like I said, I think they just screwed it up. I I think that they just and they were in so deep uh, that once they tried to get out by like the Sandy Serrano interview, all of a sudden they're playing hardball with everybody once they realize they screwed up. Um, uh, uh, So, you know, I I think there was a conspiracy conspiracy. to, to basically just railroad Sirhan and get it over with because you know Sirhan is like Charlie Manson they're the boogeyman and they're right. never going to get out of jail uh, they're the symbolic uh, you know sort of craziness uh, right. and and you know if if and, and you know Kennedy he um, uh, at the time uh, it, it wasn't as big a crime to shoot uh, you know a senator even though he was a senator from New York um, but if if Sirhan uh, isn't the gun, one who fired the the fatal shot to Kennedy, he would have been out out of jail in seven years.
1: All right, right. And so what do you you think, they were asking the chat, what do you think of Bobby Jr. going to meet with Sirhan and now believing that Thane Eugene Caesar killed his father?
2: All right, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. is interesting. He's my age. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I remember when this happened, thinking about him, going, how horrible. And one day I would like to talk to him. Well, about six months ago, he called me and we started having conversations. He was writing a book and he was interviewing me about what happened. And, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, I I saw an interview with uh, other members of the Kennedy family going, you know, there's 150 Kennedy kids out there and only two of them think Sirhan should get out of jail. Uh, so right. uh, yeah. It, it's a, yeah, it's a pretty small crowd, and also uh, Kennedy is you know he's an anti-vaccine guy, re- very controversial uh, guy, and he doesn't get a lot of credibility. Uh, so you yeah. know it's 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 it, it, it's a shame because you know it's a, you know such such a, a family tragedy, but he's spoken up, and and I have spoken up. And it, why not just re-examine the evidence with the technology that we have today? What the hell is wrong with that? After Wolford right. brought the wrong gun to the trial? Right. Of Sir right. <laughs> right? Certainly. Uh, you want to trust this guy? Uh, you know, uh, and so, you know, there's a tremendous amount that, uh, that could be done. And plenty of, you know, Sarah Weck, you know, all these guys, they're lined up. And they work for free, uh, you know, uh, to, to, to work on something like this. So I'm, I've always been totally in favor of that. Like yeah, I said, I just have very little to offer in other than, you know, like I said, you know, what happened there. Um, uh, and, and like I said, I, I have no idea in terms of political connection or, or, or things like that. Uh, uh, through Ted Chirac, uh, he was pointing out all these guys because I have all these pictures of the crowd. And you would think that the police would be interested in pictures of the crowd. The roll of film, like I said, pictures to you. There's hundreds of people in those pictures. They never looked at them. You know, I offered, I said, don't you want to take a look at this? Look for the girl. polka dot drag, whatever. No, 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 we got it. Everything's fine.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, this is uh, uh, Chris is asking, did you hear live? Did it, well, I think you, you answered that. You thought it was a balloon. Did you hear 13 to 14 shots fired?
2: Uh, no. I, and like I said, I wasn't counting, uh, you know, the event had was over and people, yeah, were stomping on balloons and stuff. And uh, it, uh, there was a, a rapid pop, 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 pop uh, that was louder because it was in this cement room, basically. Uh, so I knew it was something nearby, but it was like firecrackers or something. It wasn't, you know, it was 22. So it was, uh, and I, I, I'm not a big gun guy, I've been around, you know. Uh, you know, guns as a, as a teenager a little bit. But, you know, I, I've i never been in the military or, or or anything like that. So, yeah, I, I absolutely know uh, until it was over. And, and but the, the thing is, is what I realized the trouble was when Sirhan was on the table because the shooting had stopped and everybody was screaming and Kennedy's on the floor. And then all of a sudden Sirhan's gun comes out and starts shooting again. Then I knew <laughs>
1: Right. that right. was time was- to
2: leave time to go.
1: <laughs> so have you, have you, cause P- Paul Schrade has been on uh, this show. He was on his show last year with Laurie Dusek. Incredible for like 97 years old or whatever he is. He's incredibly sharp. So have, how, how do you know him? Have you talked to him much?
2: You know, I, I obviously I didn't know him uh, that night. Uh, I knew he was up on stage. Uh, and then afterward, you know, in the papers, uh, you know, he was, uh, with auto union, uh, uh, yeah. uh, guy, uh, and, uh, but then over the years, once we got into the Ted Iraq, things like that would hold news conferences and Paul Schrade would show up. Always very yeah. nice to me, always very kind, uh, even though we disagree about things. Um, uh, right. he is, um, uh, you know, uh, I, I think he's, you know, just, uh, you know, but, you know, then again, you know, you think you know, as a friend of Kennedy's, you know, um, uh, even if Sirhan didn't finish, you know, finish him off, he, he did try to kill him uh kind of thing uh but you know then again there's justice and you know right. every, you know 60 years it's a long time
1: right 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 yeah so it's uh chuck says he he heard a recording that say he counted 10 shots on it well whatever it is i mean it looked like it was more than eight so i think that uh <laughs> yeah
2: some- anything more than eight uh and also if you count up the bullets uh taken out of people it's over eight
1: yeah, I mean there, there were you know we all know about the single bullet theory in the JFK assassination, but there were some magical bullets in that pantry too, you know, bouncing off the the ceiling panel well, and entering, you
2: know. Well, yeah, one bounced in the ceiling panel, off the concrete, back through the ceiling tile, onto the concrete floor, and then up into the forehead of someone kneeling down to tie her shoe.
1: Yeah, yeah, Goldstein, I think it was, no, was it Goldstein? No, yeah, I, no, Goldstein was the one, buttocks, yeah. Ira, Ira Goldstein, Goldstein yeah. there's
2: a picture of Ira, Ira Goldstein I sent you being carried out. Yeah. If you look at those photographs, he's wearing glasses. Yes, yes, yes. he was shot. In, he was shot in the leg. There's a woman okay. laying on the ground. That's the woman who was shot in the forehead.
1: Right, 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 right. Yeah, well, it's it's fascinating stuff. So, so this, obviously the case still interests you. Do you still have hope at this late stage of... Of ever seeing those 12 pictures or do you figure they've uh, been burned or something?
2: Yeah, no, I, I, I think that they uh, basically, the, they went to the incinerator two weeks before Sir Ann's trial. And then there was this desperate attempt to come up with it uh, by the defense where they forged uh, the, this film that had to be stolen before it got, got to the courthouse.
4: So and, you... You know,
2: my, uh, right before my trial was OJ Simpson. And okay. it was an armed <laughs> camp downtown yeah. And so they said that because of that, I could not have any electronic press in the courtroom. They would only allow uh, print uh, reporters and a photog- still photographer for the first 10 minutes of each day. But mm-hmm. the electronic press was banned after the first day because they just didn't want it out there.
1: Right. And a Los so, angle
2: of time did two piddly little stories on it. Uh, but Probe magazine, this guy, uh, Dave Manning,
1: bro, that's I don't know what's... if you're
2: aware of that. Well, I'm aware of it.
1: Well, probe. That's where Jim Di Eugenio and uh, Lisa Pisa. I think they used. To, that's what they wrote for. I think.
2: Okay, ter- terrific publication. And he was in the courtroom every day, uh, mm-hmm. and he was the only uh, one. Uh, other reporters would show up for you know a day or two, kind of a thing. Um, uh, I was on the stand for two weeks.
1: Hmm, okay. So what? So, what did, so did you? Ever uh, talked to like uh, William Pepper is the attorney for Sirhan that sends out most to me? Did you ever talk to Bill Pepper?
2: He is uh, no, um, uh, I went through two of them that died um, uh, <laughs> earlier attorneys, a man and a woman. Um, uh, one guy Lawrence Teeter, Teeter, I know Lawrence Teeter, Teeter I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Teeter was a bit weird. I didn't like the guy, um, yeah. and he was the one leaning on me around the time of the trial to help Sirhan. Okay. Uh, then he was off the case, and someone else was on it. And Lynn Mangum was a yes. researcher, and like I said, she just did it. She's the one that discovered the altered logs at uh, at Sacramento for me.
1: Okay. And, how, and how there about was
2: th- another. There was another Kennedy researcher here who ended up killing himself. They found him dead in Griffith Park, I think. Oh, who was that? all I... that? No, he I was don't. A researcher like Ted Chirac. And in fact, Ted Chirac uh, was working with him and he had a big archive at his house. And then all of a sudden one day uh, they found him shot himself uh, under a tree in Griffin park or something. And the police came and confiscated all of his stuff. How did I miss that? Chuck, Chris in the chat room. You guys, have you guys heard that?
1: I'd if you can find the name of that, I'd love to. That, that's the yeah, kind of thing that yeah. interests me.
2: And then uh, Ted Chirac had uh, all of his film and everything in a storage facility up in San Francisco and the police came in, cut the locks, came in and poured oil over everything.
1: Yes, I did. I did hear that. Yes, they <laughs> were on that. <laughs> now,
2: here's, here's the little thing about Ted uh, Dearly Departed. Uh, he was gay. And oh, yeah. back then, that was a tough thing. And um, uh, what the LAPD uh, said was, they said they didn't want him to testify at my trial because they didn't want a circus, right? And so they said... Well, you know, we and Ted had had some convictions for credit card fraud, I think, airline tickets, some squirrely thing. Anyway, so um, uh, they said, well, you know, we have photographs of you with young boys Mm -hmm. and we're going to produce those if you testify. Well, one of their witnesses that I knew about that um, uh, was going to testify against me had a weapons conviction uh, that they didn't know about. And so we made a deal. That guy could testify, and Ted Chirac could testify. But that's how low they would go. Jeez.
1: So, so what do you think of? You mentioned Lisa Peace earlier. What, what do you think of the people? Did you ever talk to Phil Melanson, who wrote a good book, William Turner back in the day? Uh, no, Dan, Mald- I, you talked to any
2: uh, of yeah, I talked talk with Dan Moldia and, and Melanson, uh, nice guys. Um, uh, Lisa Pease never called me, never contacted me, uh, and so which is fine. Uh, but uh, you know, like I said, uh, her theories about you know these guys over here and then these guys back up and all this other stuff, like I said, people shooting at each other, it, it just uh, uh, yeah, and you know, it's it's pretty hard to convince somebody to go into a, a, a crowd uh, in, in a place like the ambassador hotel and kill somebody. And then, you know, what's going to happen to you. You're going to get shot. You're going to get arrested. You're going to want to get away uh, with it. And that's why, you know, you end up with the sniper rifle approach, you know, uh, you know, if, if, if if they were smart, they would have been up on the roof of the ambassador hotel, uh, waiting for Kennedy to to show up in Frankenheimer's convertible.
1: All right. So, so do you, so you said you talked to, so you did talk to RFK Jr. Have you talked to any other Kennedy family members over the years?
2: No, no, Judge. Well oh, he'd be the only
1: one interested, I'm sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. So that that was the only one with the Kennedy. And you know, plus, you know, who wants to, you know, hear about it? <laughs> yeah, it's not like right. they're knocking on my door. Right. Well, yeah, and he's he and he really. I, I, came. I, I, Ethel was pregnant with what his eleventh child when when he died. Right.
1: Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah and uh, as you noted when Sirhan was uh recommended for parole last year uh the rest of the family kind of turned on him except I think one of his brothers Douglas supported him but uh all the rest so I I, can't, I I imagine it's uh it's, it's an awkward situation at Thanksgiving at uh, Hyannisport I guess now and I, I don't know that Bobby Jr is invited anymore to these uh, gatherings
2: Well where where do you sit the uh,
1: yeah, well, yeah, and, and say, Sake, because, yeah, well, yeah, he's he's also, he wrote the book about, uh, you know, and then, cousin, and then uh,
2: Teddy, Teddy Kennedy's cousin who raped a girl on the beach, you know, and Teddy Kennedy killed a woman. Oh, and, and right. here's an interesting thing I have a picture that I took of Mary Jo Kapeckney. Oh. She was one of the boiler room girls. They handled the phones, and they were rewarded. For doing a good job, being flown out to California, and they all had little skirts on, white shirts with ribbons and skimmer hats, uh, kind of a thing, and they were the Kennedy girls. And uh, so, yeah, I, I had a photograph of her.
1: Wow. So that, yeah, well, that's certainly uh, the Kennedys are full <laughs> uh-huh. of, full of intrigue and <laughs> and history. So no, but uh, but
2: that, that my my point is is there's not a lot of sympathy for the Kennedys.
1: No, there you certainly is. Yeah, there's that, that's for you certain. know the,
2: the, yeah you know and you look at all, all all the craziness, so in terms of you know getting up some steam here to oh let's go reinvestigate this thing uh, I think that makes it even more difficult
1: yeah they don't they don't want to open the old wounds but so so where do you stand now at this point you're you're uh, are you still actively is there any hope you think that you you're gonna try are you still attempting to get those pictures what are you are you are you doing anything at all in regards to this, or you just kind of said, well, I spent enough
2: years to no it? Yeah, no, uh, you know, uh, there may be some, uh, you know, something that someone that works there. uh, You know, uh, at at one point, um, uh, I had a photographic expert for the trial. And um, he was out at the Pasadena swap meet selling his uh, photo stuff. And the guy in the booth next to him worked for the LAPD. He worked in the darkroom at the LAPD. And he told my friend, uh, he says, uh, your guy is going to win his case, he says, because I know the guys that destroyed his pictures. Right. So, so uh, uh, I call my attorney and uh, we, I give him this guy's name and we go to court the next day. And they drag this guy across the street uh, from Parker Center uh, and put him on the stand. And he sits down and then the doors open to the back of the courtroom and in walks the chief of police. And all the top police brass and they walk into that courtroom and sit in the back row and stare at him. And he basically melted on the stand, goes, oh, I made it up. I'm sorry. I was confused. I didn't know. Uh, I didn't say that, you know, kind of thing. And just totally uh, blew it off.
1: Wow. So did you, now you, you mentioned your family. So uh, later on, when you uh, did you marry, have kids or anything like that?
2: Uh, I was already married. Well, no, I wasn't actually at the time. So were uh, married then? No, then. I, think. <laughs> yeah. I was not married then, but yeah, uh, no, uh, uh, married and uh, got kids. I'm actually uh, out here in Agoura Hills with my daughter. I have grandchildren, okay. so I am I am Gramp I'm grampy. Uh, my new role <laughs> in life. And like I said, I'm retired from. You know, I sell my stuff. I sell my. I have a lot of uh, you know rock and roll stuff. I did about 50 album covers, TV Guide, Playboy, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so I'm basically selling, uh, selling my work. And like I said, the copyright's up in 15 years on the Kennedy stuff. So that's going to go to the Sotheby's uh, in New York for auction.
1: What, what did, so during the time, uh, did your wife, did she ever say, hey, you know, back off from this? I'm scared. I'm scared for the kids or anything like that?
2: You know, uh, she was a trooper, uh, you know, but then once it was over, uh, it uh, you know and, and you know I owed money and you know it was you know and I was stressed out and everything. Um, uh, it 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 just didn't uh, didn't help things. And you know we were together for thirty five years. Uh, you know so it wasn't you know uh, like like it wasn't a wonderful uh, situation. But it it definitely and also I, I became depressed. Um, uh, and, and that uh, uh, that didn't help.
1: Oh, you, you know, your, your name is, you know, is going to come up, you know, people. Well, uh, you know.
2: You know, it, it's, it's like every time I would go out socially uh, or go to a party or something, at some point, some, you'd see in the corner of my eye somebody pointing at me, uh, telling somebody, oh, yeah, he was, you know, uh, there when they shot Kennedy. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, people have a couple of drinks and corner me and uh, start asking me just inappropriate questions. Uh, I'll right. I'll leave it at that, and that's just uh, I didn't want to be known for that. So you got yeah. tired. Of, I mean, basically, yeah. you got tired of hearing it. Who wants to be tied to? Yeah, you Google right. RFK, and my name comes up. That sucks.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, sure. I mean, that's you know, the same thing happened. to A lot of people in the JFK assassination, and their you know their names are forever. I mean, you know, Zapruder people like that. I mean, they're they're right. famous because of that. You know,
2: <laughs> well, and you know, I've done a lot of other work. <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was sure. fifteen.
2: I was fifteen when I did that. <laughs> you know, right. I had a whole career after that, uh, which um, uh, you know uh, is is not quite as as well known.
1: Well, <laughs> oh, yeah, you don't want me to be defined by it. Well, in the minute or so we have left, what what just if you. Anything you want to promote or tell people where to find you? If you have anything to promote, uh, just go right ahead.
2: I don't have anything. Yeah. I don't have anything to promote. uh, Essentially I'm on Facebook. Uh, I am uh, working with some people to do a documentary, uh, possibly a book uh, of these images uh, because uh, they've never been seen uh, before. Uh, So I may do that before I sell them. Uh, And uh, you know, some, uh, maybe an autobiography, but about my entire career, this would just be, you know, sort of one chapter, uh, to it, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I trying to get organized on all that stuff, but, you know, it was just such a painful chapter and, um, uh, you know, you just feel like you're beating a dead horse sometimes. Well, I,
1: I appreciate you taking the time out, Scott. Fascinating story. And, uh, you know, you're right in the center of a, big historical event. So uh, I, you know, I wish you luck and uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll be right back after these words.
0: Terrific. Thank you.
4: fake news, fake politicians, and fake fiat currency, it's getting harder to find a genuine article. That's why when it comes to precious metals, I call the team I can trust. This is David Knight for my friends at Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange. Proudly veteran-owned and operated, Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange is your home for gold and silver coins, bullion, jewelry, and more. Prices and inventory are updated daily, so you get the most competitive possible pricing. And when it's time to sell your gold and silver items, they pay top dollar. Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange also accepts and deals in Bitcoin. Call or text the owner, Tony Arterburn, today at 888-667-1836. That's 888-667-1836. Or just go to wisewolf.gold. From bullion to Bitcoin. Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange
0: Wise Wolf Gold and Silver
3: Exchange Hi there, this is John Barber and you're listening to the most informed man in America. My friend fellow author and rack on tour, the great Donald Jeffrey show. The views expressed by caller schools or anyone else who happens to get on the air at
0: Ocelli.com do not necessarily reflect the views of Ocelli.com or Chuck Ocelli, and we are not responsible for any stupidity which might ensue. Thank you. Hi, this is Ron Paul. You're listening to The Donald Jeffrey Show. Wall, Wall Street, street window window dot
3: com. Gold. Silver. The stock market. WallStreetWindow.com Perhaps you're invested deeply. Perhaps you're not in deep enough. Maybe you're thinking about getting started. WallStreetWindow.com Michael Swanson, the brilliant author of The War State, understood these trends professionally for many years, and now he gives you the benefit of his knowledge. WallStreetWindow.com Go there now. Go there now. Go there now.
0: Nochilly.com.
4: Hi, this is Cindy Sheehan. You're listening to the Donald Jeffrey show.
0: In denial. Secret wars with airstrikes and tanks by Larry Hancock. Secret Wars became a staple of U.S. covert operations and are still happening today. Larry Hancock's book, In Denial, rips the cover off many of them. Using new files, it exposes things about the Bay of Pigs that no one has ever written about before. It shows why it really failed and why the United States did not learn from it. Secret Wars became a staple of U.S. covert operations and are still happening today. It also shows why other countries today are doing secret operations with more success. This is the book that puts what some want to deny into the light. In Denial, Secret Wars with Airstrikes and Tanks. Larry Hancock. For more information, go to Larry-Hancock.com. Pick up your copy of In Denial at Amazon.com in digital or physical form. Go ahead, caller. Yeah, I'm
3: interested in the truth about the JFK assassination. Right,
0: well, what do you want to know? Judy
3: Baker's wild claims. Oswald girlfriend. He knew Ruby and Barry. Cancer weapons. Really? I imagine I could claim I have four wheels. It doesn't make me a wagon, but okay. Oswald was on the kill team and trying to prevent the murder of John Kennedy. Come on now, has a real effort on the JFK assassination book into. We're Go to Amazon.com, enter Judith Baker in her own words. You'll get results for a digital copy of a book where Walt Brown utilizes her own words and the known evidence in the case to get at, well, <laughs> a different perspective, let's say. You can get Judith Barry Baker in her own words from the author himself, signed if you request it, by contacting Dr. Brown at K-I-A-S-J-F-K at AOL.com. It's a fun book, and it actually dissects the many many fantastic claims judith very baker in her own words
4: thank you for all the great information hey
2: this is susan olson from the brady bunch and you're listening to my buddy donald
0: jeffries on the donald jeffries show
3: oh chili.com
0: revelation through conversation you are listening to the donald jeffries show
1: Welcome back to the Donald Jeffrey show. Hope you guys enjoyed uh, Scott Endert and uh, he doesn't uh, give that many interviews. So I'm uh, very grateful that he took time out because he was right there in the middle of it. Really the only one taking photos at the time RFK was shot. So we're opening up the phone lines. I love hearing from you guys. So the number is uh, 319-527-5016. Again, 319-527-5016. So, uh, Call about anything. Certainly, love to hear from you. We don't have to talk about RFK assassinations. Obviously, a whole lot else going on in the world. So, uh, and I hope you know, I, I promote this uh, on Jeff Rents and everywhere else. But I hope you guys will check out my Substack, uh, which is uh, I'm I'm getting uh, a lot more subscribers there, so I'm devoting a lot of attention because now I have a pay option there, and some people are actually paying. Everything's free. So I, I'm going to be the populace, so I'm not going to have a paywall. But uh, if people want to, the pay option is there. I'm very grateful that they do. So I feel like I have to write at least a couple times a week because of that. So you can find my writings there at donaldjeffries.media. And uh, in good response, I just wrote one uh, yesterday. It was getting really good response, which is uh, I titled uh, Blood Isn't Thicker Than Propaganda. And I talked about the dysfunction, the family dysfunction. People really seem to relate to this because apparently, as I thought, apparently almost every family is dysfunctional. And that was my point because I'm going, you know, what I'm going through with my own family, with uh, <clears throat> my brother's memorial coming up and uh, just uh, that mess there because of my vaccination, my non vaccination status, and, uh, you know, all the others that are vaccinated. And, and this is uh, the dysfunction was already there. Let's face it, I mean, Trump widened it a great deal, you know, so you couldn't invite uncle Bill over for Thanksgiving. Cause he might talk about Trump, you know, we already had that. And, but even before that, the dysfunction was, was setting in and it's, um, uh, I've met so few people and I'm sure there must be some functional fan. And there, there are a couple people have told me they're fortunate, but they're very fortunate and they're very much in a minority. If you don't have, but I mean, almost everybody I know, even before this began, uh, had, you know, there's there's at least one sibling that's not talking to another sibling for uh you know years or even decades, or maybe that sibling doesn't talk to the parents or anyone and they're just kind of uh you know,
4: they don't even exist
1: anymore. They're basically the families that I, I have at my family. And uh those kind of things, parents ostracize from their adult children. Uh sometimes it's the parents that don't want to deal with them. It's not always the children, sometimes it's the children. So uh, it's just what I call you know, American dysfunction. And ironically, even though I think, you know, COVID obviously is, uh, is uh, I call it the greatest psyop of all time. I think we can uh, honestly say that while COVID is no black death, I think that the uh, right now we're experiencing the black death of dysfunction. Uh, the American family is just uh, in worse shape than it's ever been. And now is the time you really need your family. You know, when things are going, so, you know, the country's collapsing and uh, we're just in a crisis, you know. And and so if you can't turn to people who um, are closest to you, and again, blood blood is supposed to be thicker than water. And obviously it it isn't for most people anymore. So I'd like to, you know, have have your thoughts on that. Anybody that wants to, uh, you know, weigh in on it. And give the you know share your own i mean i've gotten you know if you if you go to you know and read my article on substack you'll see on a comments you know most of the comments are people saying the same kinds of things and worse you know i couldn't see my father you know because uh his his step you know my stepmother wouldn't let me you know that kind of thing and you know elderly parents dying and you can't go see him because you're not vaccinated and uh, the one case, one woman, and I, I, you know, blessed her heart. I said, yeah, you did absolutely the right thing. She basically lied and told her family she got vaccinated because that's the only way she was going to be able to see her elderly parents. And I said, you know, you did, you did absolutely the right thing. It not wrong with that at all because, uh, you know, you're not going to get another chance for that. So this is just a, a horrible situation. Yeah, but, again, I think it shows, again, that uh, maybe um, – Maybe uh, the entire family thing was overblown to begin with, because obviously dysfunction existed long before this. But I think it was really exacerbated by Trump. I mean, I know just in, uh, in my own family, I know a pair of cousin siblings, uh, two of my first cousins. Uh, they're never going to talk again because one of them voted for Trump and the other one hates Trump. So uh, you know, that's that's you know, that's and I'm sure, again, this is not that's not something that's unique to my family so again that's before but i think you just you multiply that by who knows thousands of times i guess and uh consider like how many people are never gonna talk to their you know their cousin or sibling or whatever again because they didn't get vaccinated like I said i said in my case uh my kids and i have already missed one wedding in the family that was last year and another one's going to be coming up you know we're, we're not going to be invited to that i can tell you that so uh just you know, Chris says there are researchers. Researchers body being found in Griffith Park is nowhere to be found online. Yeah, I mean that's. I yeah, I think Chuck didn't know either, but I mean I I've been studying this stuff for a long time, and that would have that would have jumped out at me because that's you know that's pretty dramatic, and you know I'm always looking for these body counts, but I have never heard anything like that. So uh, uh, maybe I'll ask uh, Scott again. And see if you can uh, come up with a name. But boy, if it's, they buried it completely, if that's out there. But uh, again, there's so many of these things. And, they, you know, I, uh, some of them are, are, are less known than others. But uh, that one, it seems like, especially with RFK assassination, because uh, the JFK assassination has the huge body count. RFK, not so much. Uh, you know, I, I'm trying to think, and there's not a whole lot of. Uh, uh, people that i know that you can be considered a body count exclusively to the uh, rfk assassination <clears throat> but so that that one would certainly be number one with a bullet if that was the case but uh, so at any rate uh it's been a busy day for me so hopefully i'm not all talked out because i uh, was on david knight uh, with my guest host, my friend Tony Arterburn, who produces my other show, the Friday show I Protest. Uh, I was on there, and then uh, I was on the Power Hour. I don't know if you guys have listened to the Power Hour. Uh, good show. I was on there uh, probably three times in the past, and the uh, the host uh, was a, a lady named Joyce Riley, who unfortunately passed away a few years ago. So uh, someone else is doing it now. And uh, ironically, the show has the same producer as Jeff has so he got a photo was talking to me. Uh, so... Uh, pretty cool show you know they had lots of callers and uh he seemed to have enthusiasts and you know they knew about me so that that's pretty cool so he was talking about uh hidden history and on on barred fame like you know my first and uh most latest books so uh you know again there's a lot of crossover there so the body counts and uh showbiz uh worked out well along with the body counts uh you know in the the, uh, political world and that's uh, one of the reasons why i uh I'm interested in those subjects because there's a lot of crossover. The Power Hour is still popping. Yeah, it is. And uh, I don't know when I'll be at, asked back for um, Caravan to Midnight, John B. Wells. I was on there, I think, three times, but not for a long time. Have not been asked back. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't seek these shows out that much anymore because I'm on enough shows. But uh, So maybe they'll call. Who knows? Because the Power Hour had been probably as long. So, uh, you know, always trying to expand and get more uh get a bigger audience out there i love you guys and uh but uh you know the, the nothing's going to change in this country until uh alternative voices like us get bigger audiences that's why you know i'm I'm not a fan of people that want to you know you know just, or go to gab go to rumble and, all, and that's fine but the problem is that uh you're preaching to the choir there you know you're not that's why i never understood the deep politics forum that uh and i used to post there years ago and the uh, dawn meredith who later later uh, uh you know unfriended me over trump again i'm not a trump supporter but you know she got a case of tds and i guess she couldn't i wasn't posting positive i was just was attacking his enemies who are horrible people for the most part not because of him but they just are i'm sorry i don't like biden and the clintons and um but uh she's the one that founded it along with Charles Drago, who if you ever had any dealings with him uh so like, I, I don't know I, I, everybody I've talked to that has met him considers him the most difficult person in the j f k research community is <laughs> <laughs> that effing guy, yeah, well, I mean the thing about it is is drago and again i i don't i, I feel sorry for the guy because he's you know, he's older, I don't think he's ever been married uh he used to live with his uncle. I know he used to talk about it. So I think he's a lonely guy and he's, he's the definition of a curmudgeon and, you know, I, I never did anything to the guy, but I, you know, I would always defend that damn Jim Fetzer everywhere he went. And, uh, just because I don't believe in censorship and Fetzer was always getting banned from everywhere. So, um, you know, and so, uh, I think that's where I first got into trouble with uh, Drago and also Greg Burnham, who used to be known as Monk back in the days of Rich De La Rosa's form, way back in the – still the best form when it first came out in the, uh, the late 90s when I first discovered the wild west of the internet and <clears throat> went there all the time. But uh, Monk and I used to agree on a lot of stuff. I don't know what happened to him. I, I can't – you know. I stopped communicating with the guy because I couldn't figure out uh, what uh, – where he was coming from, but him and Drago had some kind of an alliance, and they kind of teamed up on me, and they were calling me Miss manners because I was just asking people to, you know to behave, and just just saying like you know why are you you're just you know why are you attacking? And because they were making all these absurd analogies like you know don't uh, don't be you know don't bring a, a knife to a gunfight. And I was like, what are you talking about? This isn't a gunfight, you know, and uh, we're waiting in the grass. It's like what you know what do I mean these these guys were but Drago has now really. And I think he's very jealous because he's a frustrated writer himself. So he's the only person I've ever met. And I mean, from the time I first started writing and trying to submit my workplaces, no one's, I mean, I'm I know I can write, you know, as far as technically write, put sentences together and everything. Uh, and no one has ever criticized my actual writing skill, except for Drago. He's, he's belittled it. And I think it's just obviously very jealous. And, uh, Said I never did anything to the guy, and then his sycophant Leslie Sharp, who was involved uh, with uh, Hank Al- Alberelli, who I thought was a good guy, and uh, you know she was somehow involved as this researcher. Now there's a book out by Alberelli, and she's anyhow, she's she basically stalked me online for a year, and I, you know, to a fault, I'm so tolerant of these people because I believe in freedom of speech. So people kept saying ban, or, you know, delete her, and I let her go and let her go finally had to block in the leader but she was you know just stalking me and she was obsessed with the fact that i write for american free press uh she has um, uh willis cardo although i mean who who is obsessed about willis cardo you probably know who he is he was the uh, founder of liberty lobby who um published uh, the spotlight which became the american free press after the anti-defamation league and southern property law center uh, drove it into bankruptcy but you know they pay me to do it. They never tell me what to write, and you can read my articles there. And they're, you know, they're pretty much I have to, I have to do it in eight hundred words. But uh, you know, it's it's uh, very, uh, you know, I, I, they give me a platform. So it's I, I don't I'm not stifled there, and they they publish a lot of great stuff. My friend S.T. Patrick writes there. He's the one that brought me in there. Uh, they publish stuff by Pat Buchanan and uh, Ron Paul, Paul Craig Roberts, uh, a lot of good stuff there. But uh, so I'm honored to be there. But he, for whatever reason, she can't take that, and she kept trying to get me to repudiate, calling me a Holocaust denier, which is ridiculous. I never even write about that. Uh, calling me anti-Semitic, which uh, my friend Greg Parker from Australia also does. And Greg Parker's another <laughs> the boys over there. You know, I've made some nice friends. Let me tell you, these guys. whoo, There's a couple people over there. There's one guy I've never even heard of that uh, just he just he. He's, He's an expert on me. I mean, he's just, oh, he's constantly putting me in his little posts and stuff and loves to, you know, say that I'm, uh, you know, that I'm anti-Semitic, which is ridiculous. I, I don't even talk about that very much. Uh, Chuck says he met Walt Brown because he got confused for Drago in an email chain. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I You know, I like to cut people slack, but boy, he just uh, he is just the, the ultimate curmudgeon. Uh, Dra- yes, Drago, and that's his claim to fame, George Michael Avica, and we are all mortal. And he, Drago wrote the foreword to that, and which is nice, but as far as I know, that's his only published work, the foreword to that book. And uh, he, you know, I think he's bitter that that's what he has, you know, on his resume. Uh, Chris says Don used to be able to bite the bullet and go and fetch your show and find out what these nights." <laughs> you know, I, I just if Fetzer asked me, I'd go on a show, but I feel, you know, I don't have much pride, you know, but I, I do have that kind of pride because uh, Fetzer after I defended him and I was the only one defending him. Let me tell you, like I said, that basically alienated deep politics for him because of that, because I just, I believe in free speech. And I kept trying to point out that, uh, you know, on the, on the education forum before they banned him, I said, look, he's no worse than these other guys. And, uh, but they were picking on him and uh and I agree with a lot of what he said, yes, you know, he goes into the paul paul's you know Paul is dead Sir, and all that stuff, but uh you know that I can't buy into, but uh he's an interesting guy, and he had me as the very first interview I ever did many many years ago before hidden History was published before the, i guess the the unreals i think the unreals had been published, but he interviewed me about uh the natalie holloway case which i was writing and researching a book then it's still out there i just you know i don't i don't know what's ever going to happen with it but and he sandbagged me during the interview he did a natal a, a naomi wolf on me like that bbc reporter that sandbagged her he just suddenly started reading from the wikipedia page and it's like and i was really ticked off about it but i you know i maintained my cordiality and uh that is the last time i've talked to the guy and he never uh He's never responded. I mean, I, I've had six books published now. He's never reacted to to not react to hidden history or crimes and cover ups. Never has he he's never said one word about it, written one word about it to my knowledge. And he so, I, you know, I, I just don't feel like I have to contact him at this point because he does have a reputation. I'll talk to the guy, but uh oh, I'm not going to make the first overture. I don't think I need to at this point. Uh, Chuck says the only guy who was worse was Harry Livingstone. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that. You know, Livingstone was one. That's when I knew I was really turning into a, a really, really good writer is when I used to read his books. They had some interesting information in them, but boy, he just, he just wasn't a good writer. He's very sloppy. And it was, it was awkward reading those books. It was hard because he just, you know, just, it just wasn't good writing as far as technically writing. Um, we are your real buddies, Don. Chris absolutely. Yeah, that's what I find. You know, you guys are my family, really. I mean, at this point. Uh, nobody reads Drago's nonsense. Yeah, I mean, it's just, well, because at this point, it's just, I don't even think he has a blog. He just writes on, I guess he writes on Facebook, but he's blocked me or I blocked him, so I don't even know. He might still be talking about me sometimes for all I know. Uh, Chris says the Sammy Cook families are suing Fetzer and Oxygen. Yeah, and, and Fetzer's in the middle of that, too. And, uh, Again, I defend him on that. It's ridiculous. I mean, yeah, he's he he always pushes things too far. The title of that book was ridiculous. You don't title a book like that because you don't know that you don't know that definitively what happened there. And but he was trying to be provocative, and you know he got banned because of it. And and you know, poor Alex Jones is getting sued every other week, so they're not going to be satisfied. he has gone. And again, you know, first they you remember the old analogy the left used to talk about: first they came for the Jews, then they came for the you know. Apparently nobody remembers that day now. Remember, first they came for Alex Jones. Uh, He tried that with me in the Altkins photo. Uncle Fester did. uh, okay, yeah. They won against... Yeah, Fetzer, well, you know, again, Fetzer's, of course, they're, you know, there's... And Fetzer is his own worst enemy. You know, that's... He is... He's so egomaniacal. And uh, he's uh, a very... You know he's got that bombastic personality. He resorts to name calling as much as, but so do the people that were arguing with him. So I'm sure that he was full of, you know, bloviating constantly in court. He he has an unlikable persona, even when you're agreeing with what he says. So I'm sure anybody listening to him, they're already going to be sympathetic to the Sandy oak families. They're going, what is this guy saying? And then when you have that kind of personality, it it makes it uh, twice as hard. Chris, as I have that Fetzer Holiday interview, you came across like a boss, <laughs> Tom. Well, Chris, yeah, I'm, I'm amazed that you. I don't know anybody else has listened to it, but uh, I haven't listened to it for years because I just, I was so mad about the the way it turned out because uh, just, it just really, I wasn't expecting an antagonistic interview. I mean, this guy was my buddy, I thought. You know, I had I, I, the only one that was defending him. And then that's the thanks I got, you know. Chris "I used to go on all those JFK forums, and those old bags hags bags would treat you pretty bad." Yeah, I mean, especially when I was a moderator there, because um and I wasn't a good moderator because I, I'm not good at setting rules. You know, I'm more of a rule breaker, and uh, but I just wanted consistency there. Like I, you know, I remember when D- Jim Di Eugenio and I, I, there was still some guy out there, uh, Doyle. His name is. Uh, albert doyle and you know parker and his crowd the you know the, the mad austrian and the ROKC, you know, bart camp who's now getting a name out there these he, he hates me i mean these guys are they actually hate me and uh i don't know why it all you know basically all that goes back to because parker was so out of control he would threaten people on the form he would break all their rules and he was just so over the top and nobody else cared. I was the only, and that's what used to make me mad is that Fetzer would do something and they'd all want to ban him instantly. But Parker would be at least as bad. And they would just constantly drag their feet and give him, I said, you know, he's, he once once he was doing this TikTok thing, giving, giving me or somebody like a certain, like, like what, what he was, a bomb's going to go off. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. But, uh, my problem with him is that, uh, uh, he claims to, you know, believe, uh, you know, re- reopen the Kennedy case that, that, that there's a conspiracy. But everything the guy ever posted, I said, everything you post is is something that tries to dilute the case for conspiracy. So he doesn't believe any of the Oswald impersonator finding because he hates John Armstrongs, And that's another thing they hated me for, because I wrote something favorable about John Armstrong. And he's been on this show. I don't he stopped calling me, by the way. I don't know. But he uh, he he was calling me quite a bit. But uh he I don't agree with his theory hundred percent. I certainly don't uh, think that I, I Lee killed Tippett. I d I don't so a lot of it, but he, he produced a lot of great research. He did a lot of great work. He deserves credit for it and a lot of good things there. Oswald school records at different schools and all that very, very interesting stuff. But Parker and his group are they're they're invested in being against Harvey and Lee. I don't know why uh jim hargrove is uh his uh, spokesman online armstrong who i know very well and uh i think they have something personal there with him as well so but for whatever reason because i jumped into the fray and i you know I called him out on you know so you don't you think sylvia Odio really was incredible and all that because he does it and uh so i became uh you know enemy public enemy number one over there and they used to they used to put pictures posters of me up there and draw you know chocolate on my face and i just you know yeah, i think they call me vacant lot over there which is like it's better than some names i don't know what that means but uh so i you know it, it's kind of scary you know when you have these people uh that uh that you uh you obviously don't know that uh feel so strongly about you but uh it is what it is it goes with the territory i guess Chris said, "Do you think Fetzer was instrumental in getting poor Wolfgang set up as a fall guy researcher? James Tracy wrote in every whole blog article about Wolfgang getting in with saboteurs that it tried to recruit him. I, yeah, I don't know I don't know what Wolfgang I you know on the surface, again, Fetzer was helping Wolfgang. Alex Jones was originally there as well, and, and of course he backed off when when the uh, the water got too hot but uh wolfgang was kind of and I, I you know i love wolfgang but he stopped answering me too is anybody a- asking to interview him anymore i keep trying to get him back i had him on iProtest protest uh, a while back and uh he's never answered any of my subsequent emails i don't know why i thought the interview went well but uh he's still okay i think he's he's i think he's suing somebody i think now isn't he I, something but uh, he was in the news recently james tracy's another guy i had he i was on his show he's He's been on my show. He still communicates with him. I got to get him back on because he really he's another one of the uh, guys that, again, he was originally back when Alex Jones was really good. um, That was the only big platform people like James Tracy could get. Now, he was interviewed by Anderson Cooper, of course, infamously to make fun of him. But Alex had him on the show. And then when when Tracy was one of the first ones to be canceled, when he lost his position at the community college, because of Sandy Hook and just the, he was teaching a class, classic conspiracy theories. That'd be my dream, wonderful. But um, he was fired, canceled because they get a little pressure on there. And uh, Alex Jones never defended him. Much as you know, later he wouldn't defend anybody. He 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 you know, threw Wolfgang Halbig under the bus quickly as well. And now you know, again, that's what happens. And where are you now, Alex? You know, you're getting sued every other week, and you're you know you're saying Infowars may not last any longer. So. Yeah, you, we need to stick together, and we don't. And again, I don't know how many of these people, Alex Jones, whoever, are disinfo agents or government agents. I don't know. Some of them are probably. But uh, I always treat people at face value, so I assume that they're legitimate, and that's the case. We should be working together for a common cause to try to try to break down this tyranny and have a real free press, because we had a real free and independent press. This grip of authoritarianism would be gone because it would be exposed and the masses would buy it if they saw, you know, television stations talking about it. Uh, Fetzer went to Newtown with Wolfgang and Inforge Dime and Cameron. Yeah, 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 that's that's probably true. Uh, <laughs> come to think of it, they stay away from Fetzer's best wedding. To... Yeah, I mean, again, you know, it's it's I mean, I worry that like David Duke is going to contact me because he did write Cause you know, for a while he was, I don't think he's on rents network anymore, but it did used to worry me that his name was there. Cause I thought, Oh God, people are going to, you know, uh, uh, associate me with David Duke, but no one ever has. And, uh, but you know, I, I would talk to the guy, but then I think, I don't know, but maybe I wouldn't because would that instantly destroy me? I, I, I don't know. You know, Farrakhan's another one I'd really love to talk to, uh, but uh, you know, he's he's pretty hard to get a hold. Chris, if you can set up Farrakhan, boy, it's one of my dream interviews. I would love to. I think he's one of the most mesmerizing speakers since Martin Luther King that I have ever heard. He is just, I you know, I don't even care what he's saying. He just has a grand, and the guy's probably ninety. He's got to be about that. So he is just incredible that he can still do that. Uh, so I, I, I'm very impressed by him. Even when he says he hates all white people, you know, I, I, I want to talk to the guy. Uh, Wolfgang, suing the cops. That's right, Poodle Roger uh, Stone type arrest. That's right. This organization term on all these truth organizations. Absolutely, and you know that's uh, that's the uh, it's pretty obvious, isn't it that uh, they want the infighting. You know, Cass Sunstein under Obama talked about this, didn't he? He talked about uh, having, uh, you know, people, infiltrators, trolls on the forums. And certainly, what, what what are you know, what are we basically saying about all these trolls? We're basically saying all these guys are trolls because uh, they certainly seem that way. But uh, again, I don't know. You know, obviously, people can have. Real differences of opinion, but, uh, uh, some of these things you hear here. according to David Duke. Uh, make sure you listen to decade worldwide. Yeah. Rens. Oh God. He's still there. Huh? That's a, that's a, uh, that's a, uh, an up-to-date thing. Uh, uh, oh, well, what are you going to do? Well, I'm amazed nobody has pointed that out yet because people try to tie me to everything and, uh, they haven't tied it. So it is what it is. You know, it's, uh, I believe in free press, like I said. So I'll uh, everybody deserves a right. And of course, you know, there's a lot of lot a lot of speculation about David Duke that he's that he's an undercover agent. You know, people have speculated. People have speculated about uh Okay, last last posted. Yeah, okay, so he's definitely on there. Okay, well <laughs> I love to say well, you know, the rents the rents network is huge and it's it's uh you know it gives me I hear from more people that heard me on Rents than anywhere else. I mean, people constantly saying, I, I discovered you on Rents. So the guy gives me a great platform and uh, he believes in free speech. He never tells me what to say. I mean, I disagree with a lot of this stuff. I mean, I, you know, he last show he was, you know, it, can clear, it clearly, you know, he, he kind of has a favorable view of Hitler and the Nazis. And there's a lot of people out there that do. And, uh, you know, so you just have to kind of dance around that stuff. And, uh, you know, because again, people, people have the right... To believe, if you believe in free speech, you believe in it purely. And they give me, a, he gives me a platform. Never censors me, never tells me what to say. Uh Yeah, <laughs> Dave Duke might not be the way to go, either free press or not. I'll, yes, and Chris says the Bolsheviks, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Chris. Uh, Jeff definitely likes to talk about the Bolsheviks. He likes to call the people in charge Bolsheviks, so... That pisses John Barber off. Well, John, John Barber gets so upset about that. Damn, why the hell Jeff keep talking about the commies and the Bolsheviks? I say, I don't know. But if you listen to me on the show, I always manage to deflect that. Always, and because uh, it is, I mean, you know, he's he's recognizing what's going on. That something's going wrong, and it's really no different than the left calling and the Nazis. You know, that's why I hate I hate calling people commies or Nazis. I don't like racists, whatever. I don't like name-calling because, uh, you know, other than I think the people that lead us are – that are misleading us, misruling us are absolute tyrants. So I call them tyrants, Uh, woke authoritarians. I would call them that, but I'm not going to call them Nazis or communists because I don't – I think it's, you know – how do you even define that? You know, the term – and the thing about it is the – yeah Jr. is a right wing holocaust and there um of course the enemies are bullshit. right well yeah that's and that's you know that's the uh and again that's what you but you know it's uh he gives a platform to somebody like me and uh i'm probably the most left wing person they've ever had on there if you again classical left wing thing but you know it's it uh you know, we we talk about. So I, I think I'm turning Jeff Renz on to, to Huey Long. You know, everywhere I go, I talk about Huey Long. So, uh, you know, it's uh, and of course he has John Barber, who's you know pretty far left. And uh, he's as John Barber said many times, even though he criticizes Jeff, he said, you know. Jeff Rents was the only one that, you know, Jeff Rents basically Beckley brought him back into the media. Nobody was talking to John Barber, interview him. He started appearing on Rents and uh, the rest, the rest is history. And <laughs> we became friends. <laughs> uh, working on Julia Davison show. Thank you very much. I, the, Chris, you're amazing. Chris, Chris Gray is just amazing researcher. Uh, if you are a libtard, really all your enemies are Nazi. So, you know, funny stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and you know, the lib, the lib, I mean, I, I have a niece that has Down syndrome, so I hate the libtard thing. Trump, you know, just it's uh, they just put basically tart on the end of you know whatever it is they're trying to discredit, and uh, I just I don't like it. And yeah, you know, I I, I'm last one to police language, but uh, I think it's you know I think you can uh, you can make your point without resorting to name calling, which has been. Which has unfortunately been the famous last words for me on many forums, because that really sets people off. What do you mean? Because they people want to call names like I, I've, you know, again, I, I, I've i talked about Trump so much. You know, it, I, I, he's an actor. I think I'm you know, I I'm in the middle there, you know, but the people that have Trump derangement syndrome I've asked them over because they get so worked up about the guy, and they keep saying, "What is it about you that you hate about him? Why-, why do you hate him so much?" And they they can't. He's a racist. He's a misogynist. Oh my god! And it, all it is is name calling, because ultimately, Trump Trump is hated by people for things he never did, and he's loved by the other side, the cult. He's loved by people for things he never did, because ultimately, he never did anything. You know, he just tweeted all the time. And so they hate the image. And I think it's a WWE fake image. Uh, Chris says, last night he was trying to educate Chuck and Jimmy James on the Mandela effect. Funny. <laughs> well, that's what I don't understand, Chris, either, the Mandela effect. Um, Chuck said he was head barber on in 2014 and thought only Osanic was... T- I think Rents was before then. He he credits Rents anyhow. So I th- I think he was on Rents for a long time. And and again, they don't seem like a you – know, because as you mentioned with the Holocaust and Nazis and everything, Jeff is uh, in a completely different world from John Barber. But I, I think they meet on the, the JFK and Jim Garrison and the showbiz stuff. I think he loves John's showbiz stories and as do I. And uh, I wish I could get John to stick a little bit more to show biz, because I think that's, uh, you know, that's his strength. And, uh, you know, John's going to be 89, probably in another, I think his birthday's the 24th, 22nd, something like that. So he's going to be, uh, he's almost 89, and just, the man is just incredible. As anybody who's talked to him knows, he is so full of energy. He's like a teenager, he's like a dynamo. And uh, talking to the guy is just incredible uh yeah chris says tony wants hidden history three right on cue absolutely yeah and that's that's a perfect title isn't it i mean it's uh you know it's uh and you know that's that maybe right now i have it hidden history through three more from the american memory hole but i think the right on cue thing uh i think i'll put that in hidden history four because i've had to divide up so much information um that uh it's it's just too much information for one volume. So, because uh, I hidden history three, is like four hundred and forty some pages now, and I took all the Trump stuff out. And uh, so I'm putting because basically, hidden history four is going to be you know basically from Trump on forward because we certainly had enough just with Trump, uh, with you know everything that went on the Russia 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 the 2020 election. Uh, all this stuff, you know, that, that that'll be, you know, uh, plenty for a book right there. Uh, he, he checks. I love Johnny when he screams inappropriate things on recording. Right. <laughs> yeah, we'll never see that, uh, that that poor Bob Wilson. Bob Wilson was in the chat. I don't know if he's still there anymore. But uh, Bob was so concerned about, you know, the language. And uh, it's like John heard him and said, F it and just decided to go. because he, he whoosh. He went full barber in that interview. That was incredible, and uh, so I don't. Know, if you, if you listen to it, it was uh, it was pretty amazing. Very passionate. Uh, Chris said, "I just wish John would speak about more than JFK." Yeah, it, well, that's his. You know, that's his baby, and uh, he he has talked about things. He he loves. I, I have heard he's a big Huey Long fan. I can tell you that because he's uh, or he's constantly saying, you know, "Survival of the Richest is worth it just for the the chapter on Huey Long alone." So uh, he. He's. I've turned him on to Huey Long. I know that. And uh, but uh, you know that's still his baby, and it's still my baby. You know, I can go back to it a lot too. Uh, Run on Q is a great title for a Trump book or chapter. Yeah, it was. I mean, I was thinking about writing a separate book on Trump, but you know, it's the Trump agnostic in me. Ultimately, because I don't have TDS and I don't have uh, TES, which I coined, which is Trump Enablement Syndrome, on the other side, because I don't feel passionately about the guy either way. I think you have to feel something for a subject to write a whole book about them. So I, I don't think I have enough feeling about Trump to write a whole book about him. I'm, I'm not that interested in his life. I mean, I know he had dysfunction. I know he had dysfunction. Uh, you want to look at some rationale for why his personality is the way it is to the degree it is and it's not an act – uh, he, he had some really, you know, messed up parents, and I don't, I don't think his mother ever showed him any love. and The father, you know, just so. I think he's even said like he was. I, I think, I think he's never been loved in his entire life. So he got enough money where he can trade trophy wives every fifteen years, but that's not love. Uh, Trump is not worthy of a whole book now. I don't think he is. I know about the Mandela effect. I missed very late, but had fun with Jimmy on it. Also, my guy says we are in the trash bin universe. <laughs> Yeah, you know it's uh, his gut says it. Yeah, uh, I I got interested in the Mandela effect, and Chris, of course, is an expert on that too. But uh, I remember Guideline Productions, which of course I discovered years ago, and Guideline Productions was much like Al, was like Alex Jones, great before Trump, much better before Trump. Guideline Productions was incredible before Trump came along, and then it kind of ruined. He kind of ruined it, you know, because so many people started worshiping him, and they you know kind of turned away from the regular conspiracy stuff. And uh, that's not what it's about. But uh, Mandela Effect, one of the things they talked about all the time was the Berenstain Bears books. And, uh, you know, I read the Berenstain Bears to my kids. You know, we, had, we still have tons of them around here. And I, I didn't understand the way the, the, the Mandela Effect supposedly works. So I thought it was that, uh, you know, that uh, like it, that it used to be Berenstain and then it became Berenstain or something um but uh, the way i understand and chris can probably you know uh verify this or correct me but is that you remember it being something different but like if i go and look at my berenstein bears books they're still going to say berenstein and so there's no evidence of it so it's just in your mind so it was i i you know so it's very And people say that all the time when somebody dies and that's where it got from uh you know mandela oh here i remember it happening so it's, it's kind of a millennial theory. Uh, it's not one I can subscribe to. It's kind of what the Paul is. Uh, yes, it's Jeff. Better spell with one Jeff or two. Yeah, Charles. Uh, now, one I tell you that I, I kind of wondered about was Charles Schultz of Peanuts. I, you know, I seem to remember his name being, you know, Schultz with a T uh but now it it doesn't so i don't know maybe maybe i'm wrong with that because you know i i used to kind of like peanuts and uh i uh charlie brown know that but so maybe that's just my imagination i don't know but that's uh it's interesting stuff and anything any anything that gets you thinking is a good thing but uh some of them i think most of the, if if i'm interested in it's because there's some kind of a a reason related to corruption. I don't see the Mandela effect being, you know, wh- wh- why would they do that? And uh, certainly the Paul is dead thing. I don't, I don't I've don't. i never understood that because, uh, you know, you're talking about, uh, and I was, I talking to, uh, who was I talking to? Uh, oh, it was today on one of the callers in the power hour was talking about the Paul is dead thing. I said, you know, I, I just, what are the odds that, uh, and certainly uh, Bob Wilson's in the audience would, we, we, we've talked about this before. What are the odds that, uh, first of all, why would they cover up that, you know, lots of rock stars died, so would they really have to cover up that that Paul died? And what are the odds that they would have somebody that looked enough like him to fool everybody and uh, could sing just like him and was a left-handed bass player and just happened to be able to be this prolific songwriter? I mean, I would buy, if they came up with it and said that uh, that he was cloned, this was an early example of club, I, I would buy into that way more. I'd say, okay, yeah, that's okay. I can believe that because he certainly seems like a clone. But to say it's a different person, he just happened to, you know, I just, you know, it's not, you can't just recreate a Paul McCartney or somebody like that. That's just, you know, it, 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 even a right-handed Paul McCartney would be hard hard to create, but, but somebody, there's not that many left-handed uh, bass players and guitar players. But uh, very, uh, and again, that's why I think Fetzer loses credibility when he goes there because uh, that's uh, one of the things. The moon hoax, no, I have no problems with that. We've had Bart Sabrell in this. I need to have Bart, Bart back on the show because he's very, and I'm trying to get Flat Earth Guy. I'm trying my best and I, I'm going to try to get and Chuck, I don't know if it's going to be in this show or i Protest, but I'm I'm trying to get uh you know my friend Sam Tripoli, who is friends with Joe Rogan. He's friends with he's had Alex Jones on his show. He's a really cool guy, and he loves me. You know, he loved being on the show. And he had I, we had him on uh uh i Protest. And uh he is uh, friends with Eddie Bravo, this guy who's a, a, a jujitsu artist who's friends with everybody. And oh Tripoli had Maria Heller, oh cool, that's good. And he, he uh, he's friends with uh, and Eddie Bravo is funny. he's really good friends with Alex Jones, really good friends with Joe Rogan. and Eddie Bravo is a diehard flat earther, and he's so passionate about it, and he's hilarious talking about it. And this guy Hibbler, who Alex, if you saw it, you've got to watch this interview that Sam had on Tinfoil Hat with uh, Alex Jones, uh, Eddie Bravo and this guy Hibbler, a uh, Sean Hibbler. Who's, I guess, produces these flat earth documentaries that Eddie Bravo is involved in? Uh, for Alex, who I think, was drunk and he kept saying, Hit- you know, Hitler, he kept you know mixing his uh, Heil Hibbler, Heil Hibbler. But you know, Alex is a really funny guy, especially when he's had a few drinks in him and uh, very entertaining. If you could find that tinfoil hat, but I said, I've got to get Hibbler and Eddie Bravo, and that would be a great radio. So uh, it's coming soon to this network or maybe i protest i'm not sure we'll see what fits their schedule best but uh i would love to have them on because they're they're really hilarious i've been trying to get some flat earth stuff on I, i've been trying to find flat earth guy that's the guy i love this guy if you've seen him he has some great great videos and um uh, he um uh, you know like uh there ain't no photographs of earth he's very talented and he's from england although he puts he's like a country western guy but uh Videos are very good. They get hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views. But uh, apparently, he's too cool. Like a lot of, I call them conspiracy celebrities. Nobody knows who the hell Flat Earth guy is, but, you know, people in our world, not even that many people there. But apparently, he's too cool to respond to my uh, request for an interview. And I found that about a lot of these people. I'll see a YouTube channel that um, has 100,000, 200,000, or, you know, maybe a you know, million subscribers. I've never heard of the people before. So well, wow. you know, I'm trying to get myself out there and, you know, have people that contacts that can help me get more contacts. And every one of these people, none of them ever answer you. They think they're too cool. Um, OK, I've heard the one about Ed McMahon, Chris. Ed McMahon never worked for Publisher's Clearinghouse Prize Patrol. Mr. Monopoly never had a monocle. <laughs> Curious George never had a tail. I don't know about that. Mirror, mirror on the wall isn't Correct. Interesting. Statue of Liberty torch off limits to people since 1916. Black Tom Terry. <laughs> Chris knows his stuff. What about Flat Earth's brother, Hollow Earth? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I, I read. Uh, I have a book on the Hollow Earth that I read way back when. I was always open minded. Absolutely. They're hiding something in Antarctica, It's either because the Flat Earth or the Hollow Earth or the Nazis or the uh, aliens. Something's going on there. Uh, Chuck said in 81, they had no torch. And uh, the Statue of Liberty, school trip for kids in Jersey. the 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 young Chuck O'Chelly, school schoolboy Chuck O'Chelly. But um, yeah, so that's that's um, we have to learn. Yeah, maybe I because I I want to do a show and I'm going to do it. And again, it's going to be on one of these shows. I you know it depends on what guests I have each week. Uh, I'm going to have Chris Graves. Peter C. Kosh, and um, Bob Wilson, because those are my three main – and Bob Wilson has come up with a name for you guys. I hope you like it. I think it's perfect. The Three Searchers, which I think is great, because you're my three researchers. He wants to call you The Three Searchers. I think that's a great name. You know, Bob's a very clever guy. So uh, The Three Searchers, I want to have you guys on, because, I mean, you, you've – Bob helped me so much early on, especially with things on Jack Martin and uh, – to Warren a lot of stuff with the JFK section of the book. And Peter has been just fantastic with uh, uh, lots of stuff on McCarthy. And uh, he was, you know, the James Angleton thing. I just got that email today about RFK. I didn't know that, uh, you know, that some photos from the RFK assassination were found that it's safe. So he's finding gems like that all the time. And Chris is just, Chris is working nonstop, sending me texts and messages on Facebook. He's just finding phone numbers for me and i'm trying to i need to call i'm kind of scary but i he found the numbers of martin luther king's kids i want to get dexter king or one of those people on the show Uh, i think that'd be great i don't know that they do interviews especially my, my fear is they look at they look me up and they quickly see oh god look at the titles of this guy's book so that that's i think that you know prevents a lot of it but uh we're trying admiral bird finding an american-sized landmass down so absolutely look at that interview folks If you don't think something's going on on antarctica look at the interview it's on it used to be on youtube it's probably still there admiral bird comes back from the south pole and he gets on there and says you know we discovered a landmass beyond the poles that's uh, you know the size of the greater than the size of the united states with all the natural resources we could ever use dies not long after that what is he talking about there's nothing like that there that we've heard right uh, face shifter says hollow earthy can entertain earth not so much well you know it's it's I question everything I just I just don't think uh, that I, I really question that we're on a spinning ball that's whizzing through space rotating and we don't know what the hell's going on because they lie to us about everything else why wouldn't they lie about that um, Peter says I wish I had more time to comment on building someone's Murphy bed at the moment pain in the ass enjoying the show thanks Peter and great job again Chris, the three searchers T-shirts available now. on SG. <laughs> yeah, we did have three searchers T-shirts. Exactly. Well, you guys are kind of like the lone gunman, you know? Those those three. So it, and by and Chris knows one of the lone gunmen, the guy that was on uh, one of the guys, the guy with the long hair that was on uh, the X Files, and he he said the guy was interested in coming on the show. So uh, he's I, you know, I think he's working on that again. I you know, I, I'd love to have that. that's fan I used to love the X Files. Uh, contact King Center in Atlanta. I, you know, I, um, I, I contacted. I think that's the center I contacted. They told me we don't give out the uh, individual contact information of anyone in the King family. So Chris found their phone numbers. Now, you know, ninety plus percent of these phone numbers that are listed out there are, have been dis- disconnected. Maybe not them because they're not connected as much to the conspiracy world. So hopefully, I got through to Joan Kennedy that way. I had about a minute conversation with joan kennedy uh teddy's ex-wife and uh, it was basically her saying what i can't hear you what i can't hear you." So, at least i can say i talked to her uh chris is building a pizza currently cool dean haglin that's the guy's name yeah absolutely i mean i, I th- that was my one of my favorite parts of the uh of the x-files were the lone Gunmen. they were they were really cool i used to like them a lot. uh i will let you know about the mlk and everything i've been you know just busy doing different stuff during the day. And I, I, I got to devote time to be able to uh, talk to people on the phone. There's and that Edie Smith. I told you about Chris, a, a big witness in Oklahoma city. She reached got back to me, texted me, seemed really anxious. Now for a week, she hasn't been responding to my texts. I don't know what's going on. she asked She asked me to be a friend on Facebook. Did she look at my, you know, <clears throat> titles of my books? I don't know. She had to know where I was coming from. I don't want to talk about Oklahoma city, but, uh, you don't know, you don't know these, these people. It's, it's very strange. And like I said, uh, uh, when you get through to these people and you sense their reluctance, boy, they don't want to talk. And again, as I was mentioning to Scott, and Yard is, you know, do you think you got those threats because from Saran's family? I mean, this is because something big is going on there. There are power forces involved, and obviously, these people that don't want to talk. I mean, they're uh, you know you're, you're talking about. Um, what would they? What were they had to fear? I mean, if nothing's going on there, Timothy McVeigh's dad. I did get through to Timothy McVeigh's dad. He actually answered the phone, and uh, but he, you know, I, I don't even really say so. I, I, I'm tired of asking the same old questions. Well, I don't think anybody. Very few people ask the questions I'm going to ask you. And I, I said, you know, I think your son was framed. Let's stop but he, uh, he, he, he didn't want to talk. That's right, Dean Haglund. Did I remember him being on Alex Jones and and and, and I, back in the day? Yep. Sure. Tonya Yeeke. I still got to call her. Yes, absolutely. Yuki, the officer y- Yuki's, uh, they you know, had the most, the most bizarre suicide in the history of the world. Absolutely. Uh, they taught the pear egg shape earth when I was in elementary school. I knew the round earth photos were wrong right off as well. Well, I mean, it's the thing that we, this is the way I look at it is if, if we have, if we, we see these Hubble, Hubble telescope, we see these photos of like distant galaxies and they look fantastic how come they never turn it you know why can't we see a picture of the, the earth spinning you know like you see in the old universal films you know when they begin with the, the plane going around it and uh, you know you see the, the the globe spinning i mean we really at this point with satellite technology and with uh you know uh, uh things out in space unmanned spacecraft we should have lots of images like that we don't and uh nasa will admit they're all cgi and i think that's strange Anyhow, it looks like we're running out of time. So anyhow, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, Be listening same time next week to The Donald Jeffrey Show. Keep sending forth those tiny ripples of hope. Thanks for listening.
4: Fake news, fake politicians, and fake fiat currency. It's getting harder to find a genuine article. That's why when it comes to precious metals, I call the team I can trust. This is David Knight for my friends at Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange. Proudly veteran-owned and operated, Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange is your home for gold and silver coins, bullion, jewelry, and more. Prices and inventory are updated daily, so you get the most competitive possible pricing. And when it's time to sell your gold and silver items, they pay top dollar. Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange also accepts and deals in Bitcoin. Call or text the owner, Tony Arterburn, today at 888-667-1836. That's 888-667-1836. Or just go to wisewolf.gold. From bullion to Bitcoin, Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange.
0: Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange.
3: Hi there, this is John Barber, and you're listening to the most informed man in America, my friend, fellow author, and tour, the great Donald Jeffries Show. The views expressed by caller schools or anyone else who happens to get on the air at ocelli.com do not necessarily reflect the views of
0: ocelli.com or Chuck Ocelli, and we are not responsible for any stupidity which might ensue. Thank you. Hi, this is Ron Paul. You're listening to The Donald Jeffrey Show. WallStreetWindow.com
3: Gold, silver, the stock market. WallStreetWindow.com Perhaps you're invested deeply. Perhaps you're not in deep enough. Maybe you're thinking about getting started wallstreetwindow.com michael swanson the brilliant author of the war state understood these trends professionally for many years and now he gives you the benefit of his knowledge
2: wallstreetwindow.com
3: go there now go there now go there now GoChilly.com.
4: hi this is cindy sheehan you're listening to the donald jeffrey show